This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. I am so excited to do 12 different ghost movies with you this year. Me too. Ghosts are super fun and they're so controversial because you have like half the population that believes that they're real and the other half that are a little more skeptical. That's a great opening topic for us. Do you believe in ghosts? Are you asking me or are you just calling out the topic? I was asking you, but maybe we don't answer it. Maybe we come back to it in our final ghost episode of the year. Oh, yeah. I like that. Let's do a circle back. All right. Put it in the parking lot. We'll come back to that one later. Yeah. Put that in the backlog. We are talking today about the 2002 film, The Ring, starring Naomi Watts. Such an incredible movie. I remembered being terrified by this movie when I first saw it and it really holds up it's such a good story and I remember at the time thinking oh wow horror movies are getting good again (laughs) it was just such a cool new idea yeah I think that this one had a lot going for it I mean Naomi Watts is an incredible actress she had done some really not quite horror things previously, but, you know, some more out there stuff. You know, she's a David Lynch girl, so she's been in Mole and Drive and things like that. Directed by Gore Verbinski, who is probably most well known for Pirates of the Caribbean. The studio really gambled big on this one. I mean, they gave it a budget of $48 million, which oh my is gosh. very, very solid for a 2002 horror movie. You know who else is in this, Kate, is the guy from the Britney Spears toxic music video. Is that what else he's from? That's the only other thing I've seen this guy who plays Noah in. What's his name? I I didn't even write it down. His name is Martin Henderson, and you guys may know him from Grey's Anatomy, which he has been on for like 16 years. Oh, (laughs) Okay, so he does do other things besides like a 20-year-old music video. What I found was really interesting was our resident creepy child, not Samara, but Aiden, played by David Dorfman. David Dorfman went on to play Aiden in the Ring sequels. He was in a few other horror movies, but now as an adult, he is actually an attorney working for the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. Really? Yes, he is an attorney working in politics and has been for a while. Oh, wow. Well, good for him. It's always so interesting to hear those stories like Mara Wilson and the kid who's in Dick Tracy. Oh, yeah. And then Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah, he also left the biz. Also, there's a random Adam Brody sighting. Yeah, there's a couple of random teens at the beginning. Amber Tamblin is one of the two teen girls at the beginning as well. She plays teen Katie, who has one of the most 
gruesome death. So gross. So gross at the very beginning. I love the reveal of her in the closet. I think it's one of the all-time best jump scares. Yeah, and nothing happens. You just see it. It's just sitting there. It's so horrifying. This movie is, of course, a remake of the Japanese movie Ringu. And this movie did so incredibly well with American box offices. It made $250 million. Wow. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes, 71%, generally adored by critics. Just a really surprisingly good remake of a movie that really then ushered in this era of other Asian horror movie remakes that we're still kind of seeing today. We saw, of course, The Grudge. And then more recently, we had Old Boy was remade. And don't watch it. It's not worth it. The original (laughs) is so good. And the remake is so terrible. (laughs) I love this culture exchange we had with Japan. Their horror movies are something different. It's very cool to absorb somebody else's interpretation of horror because it was totally new. And the horror that it brought was you know, there were jump scares, but it was more like you're just afraid to look. The imagery was so creepy. Did you see Ringu? I did a very long time ago. I was very into watching Asian horror movies when I was in high school. And so I had seen the original Ringu and The Grudge and a handful of other Japanese horror movies. Um, I really need to go back and rewatch them. And I am still waiting for the day when we do our foreign film season. It's always funny to watch the original after you've seen a remake because you can't help but compare. I thought they were both great, but I think since I saw the American version first, it's the version that I love. I mean, it's just so good. I think that one of the things that is really so effective about this movie is that it is incredibly time-bound. And so the story has such a clear arc of seven days, and every day is numbered for us as we move through the plot. Let's get a quick summary of The Ring, and then we'll jump into the story structure. A very quick plot summary is that Rachel, a journalist living in Seattle, is investigating the mysterious circumstances around her niece's death that takes her to watching a videotape that purports that anyone who watches it will die after seven days. She watches this very creepy videotape and is very skeptical, but as things start happening around her, she becomes more convinced and more drawn towards uncovering the mystery of who made the tape, what is the tape about, and is this mystery a hoax, or is it something that is actually going to come for her and her child and her deadbeat baby daddy? I hate when he walks past his son and he's like, would you like me to be around more? And his son is like, not really. I mean, that part's funny. But then he goes, I wouldn't really make a good dad. And it's like, well, fuck you. I hated so many things about this guy. Like, I think that when she is at his studio trying to watch the tape with him and his assistant shows up and he introduces her as his friend 
to the assistant, not right. the mother of his child. It's just like so much about it. I was like, I'm glad you're not with this guy anymore. I did not like that it seemed like they were kind of getting back together at the end. And so it was like kind of nice that he died at the end. That's so funny because my take, I remember being like, oh, no, they're going to be a nice family. Oh, shit. They're not going to be a nice family. No, they are not going to be a nice family. They're going to carry that trauma forever. So this story starts off making you think you're just watching another like scream. Because that's definitely what I thought I was getting into. I was ready to like roll my eyes when the intro to the movie started. It is such a classic two teen girls home alone bored psyching each other out on (laughs) stuff that seems scary you then get actual moments of scariness they do such a good job of faking you out over and over and over again oh my god they go back and forth and back and forth I'm trying to imagine doing this to Kate and I think Kate would kill me (laughs) I know right it's so exhausting but then like you know you're watching a horror movie. So like you as the audience has this dramatic irony where you're waiting for the other shoe to drop of like, okay, but one of these times it might be something. And they don't know that, but we know that. When they shut the fridge, it gets me on edge. Even though I know you don't see anything behind Mm -hmm. the fridge, they fake you out there. But it's such a classic move, right? Like Mm -hmm. the fridge opens, you see down the hallway, there's nothing. Then the fridge closes and you see something, but that didn't happen. And it just scared me thinking about it maybe happening. The blocking in this movie is really good because they do that a lot of times throughout. And there's some payoffs for it later in the movie when Rachel is on the island and she's snuck into that guy's house and she's watching the tape in his living room and it keeps on showing that empty room behind her every time she's in frame and then like eventually there is a man standing there behind her so it's nice that like it does give you that fright so with those two teen girls they're setting up the whole concept for us of the tape There is a tape. If you watch this tape, like something bad is going to happen to you in seven days. Someone calls you and they whisper to you on the phone that you have seven days left. And it sounds like a scary story that you tell at a sleepover. It does. It's very much like an urban legend. And the movie does some good character development with Rachel early on. She is a journalist. She's skeptical of this shit, just like most people would be. I love when she goes to the hotel to rent a room and the guy is trying to do magic tricks. He's doing a card trick with her and she keeps telling him, nope, that's not my card. That's not my card. And eventually she just gets like fed up and lies and is like, yep, that that's the card. And I think that really sets the tone for what kind of person she is. She doesn't believe in this stuff. She doesn't let it bother her. You know, she's going to investigate and find out what happened. And the tape being part of it is weird, but. It's got to be something else. It can't be the tape. She does a really good job of seeming very competent. She's so good at just getting information out of people. She's really good at taking this tape and just starting to research things. And it's 2002, so she's doing a lot of like microfiche-like style research and a little bit of internet research, but not a whole lot. I thought it looked so fun to go to the library and just research the fuck out of like old newspapers and magazines and things like this. 
it looks so official. Like you're a real researcher when you're doing that in a movie. Nowadays, they kind of just show people on the internet. It can only get so cool looking, but it's always so cool looking when someone's pulling out old boxes out of these old libraries. One thing I was thinking of was this movie takes place in 2002 and the central mystery of the tape, you know, the people in the tape, what was happening in the tape took place in 1978, which is a 24 year difference. So Megan, that would be like if you and I were investigating a mystery that happened in 1999. Fuck. Yeah, we need to start our own serial podcast and pick something to investigate so we can go be librarian investigators. I know, but we have to do it soon because we're getting to the range where everything is on the internet. I know, it won't be fun anymore. What did you think about the movie directly saying day one, day two, day three? I took it as a way for us to see things escalate. Like I assumed every day would just be worse and worse and worse. But I also liked how it broke up everything she is doing to try and figure out how to solve this. It's its own scary thing, just knowing that the clock is ticking. It is. And she gets a lot done in those first few days. But because the time frame is so tight, when she she says at one point, like, oh, I have to go you know, up the coast because she's going to go to the island to do more investigation and she's going to be gone for two days. And you're just kind of like, but do you have two days? Like, (laughs) do you have the time to really do this? What if it doesn't pan out? When she goes to the island, Noah's like, oh, I should come with you. And she's like, dude, I only have a day left. I need you to go do this other thing for me. So dire. Yeah. And then she knows that Noah's next and then her son is next. Yes. So it's not only her timeline, but it's also her circle around her's timeline is getting tighter as well as she's going. I do love the ramp as the movie goes where it seems like things are just a little bizarre. Like what are the circumstances of these people who are dying around this? What does this tape mean? But also supernatural things keep happening that you can't ignore after a period of time (laughs) like you know getting a nosebleed while you're watching a tape is one thing but like being able to pluck a digital fly out of the videotape is something very different yeah or an electroshock tool being retrieved from your throat yeah like wrapped in like long black hair oh my gosh the face blurs with the pictures I love that because it's right away. It's instantaneous. Mm -hmm. And there's no denying that there is something weird happening because it doesn't just happen on the original camera and it doesn't just happen on film cameras. It happens everywhere. It's such a good signifier that something has marked these people, that it's not everyone around them. It's specific people are being affected by this. It's a nice tie-in to Samara in her peculiarness she can seem to manifest physical objects like media objects just by thinking about them like those thermograph photos and the video itself and then she has an impact on how other people are perceived through like a very similar media she 
kind of controls or somehow like enters the minds of the people who are infected with this video also I mean when you see people writing at, at a certain point they just become mindless and they just start scribbling black circles and scratching out faces and it's out of their control at that point it's very supernatural I really liked a lot of the signs of the haunting because they're so directly tied to what happened to Samara water is a really big signifier of her and just tying in with her eventually dying in the well at the beginning of the movie we know that tv static shows that Samara's there and I get like goosebumps thinking about when Noah is in his studio and this tv static clicks on because you know you know she's coming for him yeah this movie is like poltergeist number two in that it really makes the television a scary thing. The television, a phone ringing, things that are like supposed to be safe and familiar in your house. Things in your house are not safe, like your TV, your phone, your own body, right? Rachel, Naomi Watts looks like down at her arm and she notices that she has a burn mark on her arm. It's just very like invasive kind of haunting and then there's also a lot of horse tie-ins. Horses are a huge part of this story and a bit of a red herring. Mm -hmm. You think that this is all stemming from the mother and her horses and her relationship with her horses. But really, it's just that Samara hates everything and wants everything to suffer and die. She eventually gets into the heads of these horses and they drown themselves. Mm -hmm. They go crazy and drown themselves. And you see a lot of that sort of motif. I think that my least favorite part in this movie, mostly because it's like kind of a silly thing and then a hard thing to watch, is Rachel on the ferry to the island. She sees a horse trailer and she approaches it. This next like 90 seconds drives me crazy in this movie because I'm like, why are you sticking your hand in this horse trailer to greet a horse that you don't know? And then the horse reacts badly. And then she keeps talking to the horse, trying to calm the horse down. And of course the horse is going crazy because it can tell that she's like marked by Samara or something like that. And so it escapes. That whole thing drives me crazy because I'm like, Rachel, you know better than to be like, bothering this horse like leave this poor horse alone <laughs> I love horses I grew up with them so I mean I would also be very tempted to approach the trailer to see the horse but I would never put my hand into somebody else's trailer and touch somebody else's horse this is somebody's show horse this is a big deal to somebody mm -hmm. a little girl my horse <laughs> it is so horrible to watch this horse jump off of the boat and trip over the rail, hit its head, and get mutilated by the motor. I know. Oh, my God. It's horrible. Awful. A sequence where you're just like, Rachel, stop everything that you're doing right now. You just know it's going to end horribly for this horse, and it does, and it's really brutal. The effects are really good. Yeah. I was because really I'm always good. like really closely watching to see like how bad CGI looks and like they did such a good job. Yeah, I looked it up at the uh Humane Society page and 
Wow, they used so many horses for this scene. Like we've talked about in previous movie discussions, animals are trained for one trick, one thing. So there was a horse trained for spinning. There was a horse trained for rearing, a horse trained for jumping. Like every separate action that horse took was created by so many horse actors. And the way they did the horse jumping off was a green screen jump. So they used a real horse jumping over something. And then they mashed it up with a computer generated one as it was falling into the water. Yeah, Yeah, it looked great. It looked really good. It's like very like tightly done. They did a really good job of just making everything really seamless. So it's not ever taking you out of it. I highly recommend comparing that scene to... The scene in, I want to say it's Braveheart. There's like a horse jumping into the water or falling into the water. And you can tell it's a taxidermied horse. It's just like rigid. It doesn't move. It just, and it also lands sideways. I'll try to find it and I'll put it on our blog because it's vastly different in quality. Oh, I'll have to go watch that. I have not seen Braveheart, so I would need to probably <gasps> watch that. Side note, Braveheart's great. I love Braveheart. I know it's not like accurate or whatever, but it's a great movie. I feel like we're all in like a post Mel Gibson freak out world. And so like, do I go back? You had to see it before all that. I think so. (laughs) I think I missed it. So let's go back to the lodge. This is where Naomi Watts is initially doing her investigation and she decides to stay in the same room that her niece and her friends uh, watch the video in. Really quickly, before we get to that and the video, I had to stop the screen when it showed what movies were on that shelf because I was like, what movie would I want to see before picking out The Ring? <laughs> the Ring blank video cassette. And the movie selections weren't great. You know, some of these movies looked so bad that I actually thought that they were fake movies, just like set dressing movies. And then I realized that Steel Magnolias was in here. And I was like, oh, these are actual movies. I mean, okay, let's see. What were my choices? Jason was on here. Yep. I saw that one. So that was one of my choices. I've never seen Scent of a Woman. Sounds intriguing. I think that I would pick that one. Oh, Powder. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Yeah, I haven't seen Powder. Is it any good? I think I was a kid when I watched it, and I just remember it being about this teenage boy who kind of has like supernatural powers. Are you ever going to watch it? Probably not. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I vaguely remember that the very end is he like does something very magical and supernatural and it like proves to everybody that he really is supernatural because he's like doing something really big and he like disappears into like a lightning bolt or like electricity or something. Okay. I am not going to fact check that. I'm literally never going to go look up powder. I'm probably wrong. But that is my entire impression of that movie. So that's why I would pick it. All right. Well, I chose Family Plot, 
which is an Alfred Hitchcock. I've never seen it. I haven't seen a lot of Alfred Hitchcock. So I was like, okay, that would be a good one to knock off of my list if I was in this cabin. A lot of good people in it. Bruce Dern, Karen Black, Ed Lauder. So yeah, that one actually looked interesting to me. And maybe I'll watch it in real life. Chud was number two on my list. Oh, yeah. We tried watching it not too long ago, and I think I fell asleep, so I'd want to rewatch it. But it's about missing people being killed by humanoid creatures. Nice. So scary. And then my third choice was School Ties, just for nostalgic reasons. And also Brendan Fraser. I just saw The Whale yesterday, so I'm all about Brendan Fraser now. I mean, can you imagine you're a teenager, you're a hot, popular teenager, you're hanging out in a cabin somehow alone with no adults, and you watch a movie that is effectively a Tool video. Have you seen like any Tool music videos? Yes, or uh, Happiness and Slavery by Nine Inch Nails. This video (laughs) is like a mashup of every Tool and Nine Inch Nails music video, and I love it. (laughs) There's a lot of symbolism in this video, like a ton. There's a really good amount of breadcrumbs in this video for Rachel's investigation. There is a specific person, Anna Morgan. There is locations. There is the beach and the farmhouse and the horses, even specific trees. There's a lot of very concrete things that would lead her down this investigative path intermixed with some very creepy imagery. Yeah, let's go through some of it. To me, the most prevalent symbol is that burning tree. You see it so many times. You see it etched into the barn after they pull off the wallpaper. You see a literal tree on the hill across from the lodge. And then you you see like burnt hands on people's wrists. There's a line looks like they've been burned there. You know, this burning tree is a big clue. Another big clue I thought was the chair. It's just a single solitary chair. It does various things throughout the video, but that's a big lead as to where Samara ended up. Yeah, I think that the ties to the mental institution that Samara was in, it makes you feel like on rewatch, it should be so obvious that Anna Morgan is not the crux here. And it's this red herring that Noah and Rachel are chasing based on this movie because they see Anna in the mirror on the wall looking at herself and then looking at the viewer and so that's the person that they're pursuing but then when you see these other elements like the chair and seeing the like man viewing through the window it makes it feel like oh it's not Anna, this is from Samara. It's like Samara's mind has just been put onto this video for people to watch and then die. That mirror on the wall, I remember that being very creepy to me the first time I saw this because it shows Anna. She's brushing her hair. She looks normal, but then she looks across and all of a sudden you see the mirror with Samara in it. 
And Samara looks fucking freaky. She's just this little gross-looking ghost girl with hair covering all her body. And I had such a strong reaction to that, actually. It really freaked me out. It made mm-hmm. me feel uncomfortable about both people, like Anna and the little girl. Like, why does this woman seem so comfortable around this child who seems so weird? Yes, it is such a good question, which is, where did Samara come from? Oh my gosh, yes. I want to ignore all of the Ring sequels. Have you seen them? I saw the second one, but I didn't like it, and so I erased it from my memory, and I that's it. It's not good. I want to divorce the Ring sequels <laughs> from this. So I think that in this one, they give us a few clues the couple had tried for years and she had had miscarriage after miscarriage, could not conceive a child. Anna and Richard left the island and came back with a baby. And so it seems like she was maybe adopted. When Noah is doing his research, you see Samara's birth certificate has a certificate of live birth that has Richard's signature on it for her. Richard later says, that Anna was never supposed to bear a child. And so my headcanon, my fan theory is that Anna and Richard had made some kind of deal with the devil, some kind of Rosemary's baby type situation to get them their child that they had wanted for so long. And that child was this evil entity that ended up being Samara. I think all of the imagery that we see in this video tied in with the investigation that Noah and Rachel have done just really makes that so solid for me to a point that when I even think about the sequel, it makes me mad that they botched it so badly. Yeah. And also the dad is like not surprised by this video's existence. Mm -hmm. He is like, not phased other than, oh, cool, this is still happening. Mm-hmm. Definitely some sort of witchcraft going on with Samara's birth that made her this way. I feel so bad for her. She doesn't really have a choice in any of this. As we're going through this season, something that I want to think about with these ghosts that we're dealing with are what was the person like? What was the ghost like when they were alive in a human being? What made them into a ghost? And then what is their behavior like as a ghost? And Samara, she was an evil little girl who had an incredibly evil death. And so, of course, her time as a ghost is going to be horrible. And she's going to make these disgusting little videos (laughs) that just creep you out and kill people. I thought that the latter motif was one of the most sad symbols of the video because it's the latter that leads up to her barn bedroom where she's kept away from her family and stuck in the barn with the horses, which she doesn't even like. Like on rewatch, that symbol is so sad to me. You're watching this and you don't know how it's going to go. And so you think that, like Rachel doing the investigation, that if you can just 
solve the mystery of what happened to this family, what happened to this little girl and the horrible things that happened to her. You see the symbolism in the video makes sense in retrospect of the nails tied to her own fingernails breaking off in the well as she's trying to escape, seeing the well being covered and becoming the ring to just show her abandonment. The ladder is really symbolic because, you know, there's a ladder up to her room in the barn, but also ladder is an escape from a well that she does not have. I think that it's so sad. And so you want to help her. And then you realize that she's just evil and like helping her is helping her murder more people. (laughs) One symbol I could not assign meaning to was the three-legged goat in the video. And I was just curious if you had been able to pull anything from that one. This might be reaching, but I'm going to do it anyway. So if you remember when Rachel goes to the island the first time and she talks to the doctor and the doctor has a grandson and she says he was born this way and we knew from birth that there was something different about him and you can just tell. And so I think that there's this like mini motif of some things are just born different. So you have a three-legged goat that was maybe born like this. You've got the boy who was born intellectually disabled. And then you have Samara who was just born evil. And so this kind of like, oh, it's like a natural thing. It wasn't a thing that was made onto her. She wasn't made evil by Richard or Anna. She just was evil. Bravo. I think that's that's a pretty good interpretation. Thanks. Do you know the lyrics to Samara's song, Kate? I don't. She's so dark. She's singing this song right before she gets shoved down the well. Round we go. The world is spinning. When it stops, it's just beginning. Sun comes up. We live and we cry. Sun goes down and then we all die. It's so dark. So sad. It is sad. And of course, the only person who gets that she needs to not be messed with is Aiden, the living creepy child. He is so creepy. I was thinking that he would fit in so well in our creepy children season in the future. He's just like a little man with his like deep eye bags. So many questions for you about this boy. Okay, let's do it because I thought he was a weirdo too. What is the meaning of him having visions prior to his cousin dying? I guess I will do a little bit of a reach myself. There's a few moments early in the movie and throughout the movie where you see Aiden staring at the blank TV. I think maybe uh, Naomi and uh, Katie might do this as well, but staring at the TV and you see like a shimmer, you see like a vibration or something moving through the TV. And I think that is supposed to be Samara or, you know, her evil, whatever presence It seems residual from the video. Like, Katie watched this video, so now this entity is just sort of, like, 
left its residue where she lives, Mm -hmm. lived. And what I'm thinking is that she's so strong. Her evil is so potent that even without watching the video, she can permeate your brain. Even that residue can permeate. That's kind of how I saw it. It's just her like waiting for him to watch the video or waiting for his time. I think that he seems to have like a communion with her anyway because he talks later about how she shows him things and it seems like he's got this reception to it, to her and what she's left behind. It's a very interesting like exchange they have and it drives me crazy that his mom just has such a huge blind spot towards how creepy her own son is. I think there's a little bit of, you know, children are these pure beings and they just sort of see the world for what it is because that's what they know. Paired with him basically being an adult the whole movie, that first scene where he is getting ready by himself in the mirror and he has already put out his mother's dress. It's such a weird relationship that they have. And also, he is still a child. Yeah, he's little, too. He's like a little kid. And he calls her Rachel. And he seems so much more mature than either of his parents. I just feel like he has this clarity from both being a child and also having to parent himself. Because his parents weren't really good parents. I hate the scene where... Aiden's teacher is trying to tell Rachel that she's worried about him. And she's like, kids just process stuff through like drawing. And then later when she's trying to like justify why Samara made the tape, she's like, children just need to be heard. Sometimes they need to make videos or they need to draw pictures. Creepy videos. And I'm like, oh, Rachel. Like good intentions, but you are way off with this girl. And then of course her son, like a scene later is like, what do you mean? (laughs) What do you mean you helped her? Like, why would you help this crazy girl? Yeah. He just gets it. He's like, no, it doesn't matter. She's evil. Don't help her. (laughs) And then that uh, gives us the good old pay it forward scene. It is so incredibly satisfying that her just instinctually making a copy of the tape at the beginning is the key to saving her. I think it's so clever. It's just like such tight storytelling. It's a really, really good plot device. Fun fact, Chris Cooper was supposed to be in this movie and he was playing a low-level criminal. And at the end of the movie, she was supposed to give him the tape. Oh. But they ended up cutting the character. I like the just loose ending of there's going to be this tape in existence and these people figured out that the copy gets you out of it and maybe other people will too, but there's no actual stop to this. I usually hate when movies tie up the ending and this sort of does that in that her and her son are saved, but it's 
not clean. She Mm -hmm. is still willingly going to kill people Mm -hmm. with this tape. It's as neat as I'm like willing to take from a horror movie, especially a ghost horror movie. I feel like if it's like a supernatural being, you almost need like a supernatural way to like kill the being or like end the haunting. And so just like a normal person and her son like defeating like a ghost would be so unsatisfying, which is why you should not watch Ring 2. So annoying. (laughs) Yeah, they did such a good job with this one. The only thing I wish they had done different was that I wish that when the screen faded to black, you just heard Samara go, seven days. Dude, me too. One of the things I love in this movie is throughout the movie, there are split frames inserted of shots from the video where you can see a single frame of the video as it cuts to the next scene. And so it's like making you watch the video as you're watching the movie. But Pay It Forward, we have so many versions of Pay It Forward just built into our culture that I think we don't even think about it. No. And when I saw that scene in the movie, I kind of like joked inside my head like, oh, chain letter, send it to five more people. And it's so funny because this movie is not a Pay It Forward movie until the end when you realize, oh, that's how you get around this. You pay it forward. So I wrote a little list of some pay it forward activities that people tend to encounter in their lives. And I thought we could go through some of them and talk through our experiences with them. Yes, definitely. First on the list are library books. And I know this doesn't seem like a pay it forward activity, but you write your name in a library book, or you used to anyway, right? And so you start this like thread of who has looked at a book before you, which is Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Sometimes as a kid, I would like to take it like a step further and just put a note in the book, you know, for the next person who reads it. I have never left a note in a book intentionally for someone. I do take notes in my hardcover books that I own. And so it's funny when Mike will read books that I've already read is then he'll try and ask me about my like incomprehensible (laughs) notes that I've left behind. And I'm always like, I don't know. I don't know what I was trying to say there. At work, we moved buildings and I had to leave behind my desk. And so I wrote a letter to whoever inherited my desk after me, like telling them how much I loved my desk. And here's a cool fact about my desk. You know, just like it's like a summer camp letter. But then they redid the building and took out all the desks. So oh, sad. <laughs> Nobody read it. Have you been part of one of those like mega Starbucks lines for where you pay for the person behind you? No, but I have dreamed about it. I would love to be in one of those chains. What about you? I've never been in one and I hope to never be in one. Like truly, I would hate it. It would get to me and I would be like, can we not? Like, I don't know. I would just. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think. I'd oh, my want God. To. I would start one off and Kate would kill it. I know. And we'd be in the same car. Megan would be yeah. like, oh, I'll pay for this. Per-. And I'd be like, no, no, you're not. The closest I've come to this is just paying for somebody's stuff behind me because they didn't have the right amount of change or something. But it wasn't like a trend or anything like that. Right. I already mentioned chain letters. These Mm -hmm. come in so many forms. They can be virtual. They can be email. They can be an actual letter. 
They can be on social media. Oh, I'm sure when I was in like elementary school or middle school, I loved passing notes. I was such a fan of writing and passing notes that I almost certainly participated in some chain letters. What about you? Oh, all the time. I loved the concept of chain letters. Oh, wow. This is just going to go off into the wilderness and some rando out there is going to have my name. Like, how wild is that? There was one that I did, I remember, where it was, you're going to get a list of five names and addresses and send them all a dollar and then add your name to the list and push, you know, push it down. And I was like, we're all going to get rich because I was a kid and I was like, maybe I'll get 20 bucks. Yeah. Basically, my entry into a pyramid scheme, I did send out my dollars, but didn't get any back. But it was fun thinking about it. I have a very similar story with a social media exchange. So something that was getting really popular at the height of the pandemic lockdown was on Instagram, there was this chain where you would participate in buying someone a book, you would get an address from someone, and you would then send your address to that person and they would pass it to the next person or whatever. The idea is that you would buy one person a book and you would potentially get five books back or something like that. Totally the same. You send a dollar and get $5 back. So I really loved this idea where it was like, oh, send this person like a book that means a lot to you because then you would end up just with like random books that are like meaningful to strangers and so romantic. Yeah. And so I bought a book of poetry for this like random woman and I got nothing. And I was so, <gasps> I know I didn't get anything. And I, I, no one ever bought me a book. And I was like, okay, that was like an $8 Amazon purchase. It doesn't mean anything. She got a book. And so like she had some magic. Right. That's what it's about. And so like, that's cool. I made some magic for someone, but also like it would have been cool to get a book from a stranger. I know. White Elephant or could also be known as Yankee Swap, Dirty Christmas, I forget. But White Elephant is probably the closest pay it forward activity to the ring that we have in that you're paying forward something that nobody wants conceptually. That That's the idea behind the activity. I love it. My first real communion with Megan was over the level White Elephant party the first year that she joined level. Have we told this story yet? I don't think we have on the podcast. I'm so excited. Okay, great. So Megan was pretty new to Level. You'd been there for what, a couple months at that point? Three months, yeah. And you could not go to the white elephant party because you were having your wisdom teeth removed. And so you had Zach drop off a present for you um, with a little note that was like, wish I could have been here. I had been at Level for like six months at that point. Still felt like I was getting to know people, but it was like so much fun energy and everything. And the gifts were wild. I was like not expecting this. Like someone had like a ham. Did you know this? What? No. Like a cooked ham? Yeah, like a cooked honey baked ham. It's amazing. That's a good gift. Was one of the gifts. Yeah. And it was wrapped where like you looked at it and you were like, I'm pretty sure that's going to be a ham. That's a ham. You'd, you'd be like, there's no way that's going to be a ham. And then like someone opened it and it was like definitely a cooked ham. Someone was like, oh, and then Megan like been dropped off a gift because she couldn't be here. And 
this woman got it and opened it. It was Megan's wisdom teeth. She was so horrified. Everyone was like, what? And nobody knew me. No one knew you. And then it was my turn. And I was like, give me those teeth. And then she was like, no, no, it's okay. And Rubio was like, Kate, you don't have to take the teeth. It's okay. And I was like, you don't understand. I need those teeth. (laughs) You guys, this is our origin story. (laughs) It really is. She wasn't even there for it. Oh, and I just got the best pictures from that event from you. So good. People opening my gift, exchanging my gift. It passed around three times. Luckily, we were able to get it back. I think I got a marshmallow gun. But yeah, that's the white elephant to top all white elephants for me. It's so good. And now I have Megan's tooth on a necklace. Yeah. uh, Kate got, you know, well, well, let's finish this story. Kate eventually got her wisdom teeth removed and then we exchanged teeth and made matching necklaces. So maybe we'll put that on our blog too. The last pay it forward activity on the list is geocaching. And I've done this quite a bit. Kate, have you ever geocached? I haven't. One time I found a USB on the street and I picked it up and I wanted to put it in my laptop and Mike like basically smacked it out of my hand. Oh my God. He was was like, no, that's how you go to jail. Now that is the ring. That's the closest to geocaching I've gotten. Geocaching is great. Basically, it's a network of hidden treasure troves and there's just a bunch of junk in them like tiny erasers or like those tiny toys you get out of those quarter machines, that kind of stuff. And you use the clues that are provided to find it out wherever. And then you take something from the treasure box and you put something back in and you write your name. Very cool. There's a site for it, geocaching.com. And I highly recommend you check out this hobby. It just gets you out and about. I love this movie. I'm so glad that we did The Ring. Me too. It's so good. It's such a solid movie. It still holds up. Very scary. 10 out of 10. I mean, this movie is pretty damn near perfect. I highly recommend it. You've got to see it. If it's been a long time, watch it again. And I'm just so stoked for the format for this year. I am so glad that we got to kick it off with such a strong movie. I'm really excited for all the movies that we have, both these ghost movies as well as our new release movies that we're doing. So keep an eye out. Around twice a month, um, we will be releasing new episodes. One of them will be a ghost movie and one of them will be a new release. Make sure you check all of those out and stick with us through this whole year. Happy New Year. This was not quite dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and happy watching.